it is necessary to investigate before legislating. But the line between investigating and persecuting is a very fine one. The investigators tell us it seems the suspect was going to pass them, then turned and fired. Christine, Laura, what you're seeing behind me is one of multiple locations. Arise to support the impeachment of President Donald J. Trump. And I'm about to talk to him about allegations that he was involved with prostitutes in Moscow and that the Russians taped it and have leverage over him. Welcome to Information Operation. It's been a hard week for Americans, especially for those who have served, served in the U.S. Armed Forces and especially for the uh, Special Operations community who uh, lost a lot of brothers uh, and, and even uh, on the Afghan side who've been working with us for a long time in country. So uh, today we have a, a special guest who is going to add a lot of uh, sunshine onto what's been happening uh, over there. And we want to get the truth out uh, the, because the whitewashing of truth and history has already started, according to Pete Blaber, who's our guest. Welcome, Pete. Thanks, Todd. Great to be here. So we've talked a little bit offline before this, um, and uh, I'm going to kind of turn it over to you and let you walk through the timeline that you want the public to know as to what's been really happening in Afghanistan. So, uh, and by the way, Pete is a former uh, special unit mission commander. Uh, we'll leave it at that. Go ahead, Pete. Okay. Thanks, Todd. Yeah. So the purpose of these pages is to learn from what happened in the final days before Afghanistan fell. Uh, we all know that those who fail to heed the lessons of history are damned to repeat them. And if we can't learn from our experiences, then we can't adapt to future contingencies. And if we can't adapt, we're going to go the way of 99.99 infinity percent of the species that have ever inhabited the planet, and that's extinction. So, uh, you know, as Todd said, this isn't about politics. Uh, it's about our most inherently human right, uh, freedom of choice to survive, thrive, and evolve. And uh, also, uh, again, uh, you know, if anyone needs help uh, or motivation for how important that right is, uh, I encourage all Americans to please go listen uh, to some of the uh, the family members, the videos of family members uh, who lost uh, their loved ones in Kabul last week. Uh, and the reason for that is to learn from our experiences, we have to feel our experiences. And uh, finally, I'll leave you with this quote. Uh, Remember the logic of why we died, that free men stood their ground against tyrants who tried to take it away. Um, so the background in this timeline, I started keeping this timeline back in February uh, when one of my friends on the ground sent me uh, a red flag warning. I've been talking to this individual for the last 20 years about what was happening in Afghanistan. Uh, a few months later, uh, a second friend who works for a different part of the government and was also on the ground at the time told me the same thing in different words uh, and in much more stark and dire terms. Uh, I also had Afghan input on this uh, timeline from two Afghan Americans uh, who have also been going back and forth for the past year and are over there right now. Um, the document ended up being 50 pages long. I've necked that way down and that's all we're gonna cover is just some of the key decisions. This is a, an anatomy of senseless decision-making 
Um, and, you know, it's important to get it out because as Todd said, we're already seeing, uh, you know, fake news articles coming out, trying to whitewash the truth and trying to change history as they've become so adept at doing. Uh, obviously, this is a living, breathing document that we will continue to build on. We're going to put this timeline out uh, so everyone can see it. But we wanted uh, the American people and freedom-loving people across the planet to have a foundation of truth to build off of um, uh, so that, again, it won't be whitewashed and the truth won't be lost. So let's kick it off uh, the timeline. And um, a lot of people don't remember, so I'm just going to be very brief on uh, the backdrop, it all began in the fall winter of 2001-2002 uh, when less than 500 special mission unit personnel and their Afghan allies from the Northern Alliance drove the Taliban government and all of its foreign fighters out of Afghanistan. Uh, for the next 10 years, uh, we were in Afghanistan. Uh, the mission uh, morphed constantly, but it never morphed away from the original purpose, which was to deny terrorist sanctuary in Afghanistan and prevent the enemy from concentrating combat power on freedom-loving people across the globe. And that's incredibly important to remind ourselves of right now because Afghanistan isn't some uh, you know, purposeless mission. We are fighting the terrorists over there so we don't have to fight them over here. And uh, unfortunately, after what's transpired in the last couple months, uh, we may have uh, undid, undid all the good we did in accomplishing that. So 22 June, 2011, uh, one month after Osama bin Laden is killed by US Navy SEALs, US President Barack Obama announced that troops will start to withdraw from Afghanistan. Uh, fall of 2012, during the vice presidential debate between Joe Biden and Paul Ryan, Biden says the following, we're out of there by the year, in the year 2014. Uh, my friend here pointing to Ryan and the governor, who is Romney, say it's based on conditions, which means it depends. It does not depend for us on the conditions. It is the responsibility of the Afghans to take care of their own security, Biden added. He then added, we are leaving. We are leaving in 2014, period. Um, and you know, I, that quote's important because uh, in, in my new book, I point out that uh, you know, the way our brains make sense of the world around us and sensible choices about what to do next uh, is actually profoundly simple. Uh, we combine what we know, the knowledge we have in our brain, with the adaptive stimulus of what's going on around us. And from this neural process, the logical why we do what we do and choose what we choose emerges. Uh, one plus two equals three. Uh, to make sense, it has to add up. Uh, when you employ a decision-making process that ignores the adaptive stimulus of what's going on around you, uh, you can't make sense. Uh, you're flying in the blind and heading for a crash landing. So remember that quote whenever you make a complex decision, but especially remember it as we go forward here with the timeline. So we're going to go fast and furious now. 27 May 2014, President Obama announces a plan 
for the full withdrawal of American troops by the end of 2016. Uh, of note, not only did the withdrawal not happen, it never even came close to happening. Uh, on 4 November 2016, Donald J. Trump is elected president. On 21 August 2017, uh, President Trump met with his military advisors from Afghanistan and concluded that a hasty withdrawal would create a vacuum that terrorists would instantly fill. Uh, profound words from two, 2017. In 2018, General Scott Miller took over command of all forces in Afghanistan. Uh, just a side note here, uh, without a doubt, uh, General Miller was the most competent, experienced, and tacitly knowledgeable commander of Afghanistan and Afghan forces and the enemy in the entire 20 years of our involvement in Afghanistan. Um, he was actually part of the group I was with uh, when we initially routed the Taliban. And with his appointment, he knew he would be the final general the, and with the final forces uh, who were in Afghanistan. Um, so, he had lots of work to do in his first six months, but his first order of business was uh, to quell the effects of a U.S. Uh, fake news um, uh, bit of information that said that President Trump planned to abandon the Afghans in Afghanistan. And Afghanistan. So after speaking with President Trump, uh, General Miller reassured the Afghan partners and his own staff that President Trump had issued no no such withdrawal orders. And just to break in there, um, August 18th, in the yeah. ensuing months, uh, peace negotiations began and were underway with the Taliban. Um, the senior US negotiator met with the Taliban officials regularly, sometimes with General Miller, sometimes without. Uh, during these meetings, uh, General Miller informed the Taliban's in no uncertain term that even if the US military were to begin withdrawing, they would continue to conduct airstrikes and support the Afghan forces as needed. Uh, 7 September 2019, President Trump cancels U.S. Taliban peace talks after the group claimed responsibility for a car bomb that killed a single American soldier. Uh, President Trump then called the head of the Taliban, who was in one of the peace negotiation meetings, uh, got him put on the phone and then warned him that if he continued to kill American troops, uh, he will meet the same fate as Iranian General uh, Qasim Salami. Um, on 29 February 2020, President Trump announced a signed peace deal between the U.S., NATO allies, and the Taliban. Uh, 17 November 2020, in the final days of the uh, Trump administration, the Pentagon announced plans to reduce troop numbers in Afghanistan from 4,500 to 2,500. Uh, which will be completed by January of 2021. Um, so it's important to understand the logic of why they chose 2,500. Um, 2,500 was determined to be the absolute bare bones minimum number of troops required to conduct what the military on the ground in Afghanistan determined they needed to do to prevent that vacuum effect uh, that President Trump was warned about back in 2017. Uh, what were those tasks? They were twofold. First and foremost, to operate and secure Bagram Airfield. As Todd knows, uh, a guy who's been flying in and out of Air Force bases, uh, Bagram Air Face, 
Bagram Air Base is an airfield that's as big as, and bigger than some of the airfields you see around the United States. Um, the intent was for Bagram to become the, the base of operations for all remaining U.S. forces and also the base of operations for the Afghans' most uh, potent military uh, force, their special forces. Um, and it's much more defensive. It was too. also going yeah. to be the base of operations for U.S. Uh, special forces liaison teams. Uh, these would be small, agile teams that could be deployed out to the Afghan bases uh, and um, outposts uh, to assist the Afghans with command and control, uh, especially during the first months after the majority of Americans pulled out. Uh, People will ask, well, why did the Afghans still need C-2 liaisons? Uh, it starts with human nature. Courage is, is contagious and so is common sense. So, which is why leadership is so important. Uh, when you have a strong, uh, courageous and common sense leader on site, uh, you can do just about anything. When you don't, uh, you know, things go the opposite direction. And although the Afghan special forces uh, had proven themselves to their American special mission unit advisors in battle over and over for uh, at least the last seven years, the Afghan military was still a new military, new army especially, um, that had never operated by itself. Uh, and that's a self-evident fact. As long as we're still there with a full command and control uh, suite operating behind them, you know, they're not fully on their own. And the way to get to that point, uh, thanks to lessons learned in Vietnam, is not to suddenly have all of the American advisors who have worked themselves into the very fabric of these organizations disappear. Uh, no one using common sense would ever do that. Uh, it's a gradual uh a, a gradual downsizing. And, you know, the most important reason for that gradual drawdown was so the Afghan military and political system could withstand what everyone knew and what all the intel uh, agencies were reporting at every level would be a full-scale attack that would occur by the Taliban that would occur as soon as the Americans' official date for pullout happened. Uh, so this, again, was uh, accepted his common sense over there. And if the Afghan military could hold them off initially, not only would they learn that they're strong enough to defeat the Taliban, and they would also gain confidence and experience to operate on their own. Um, so January 20th, 2021, uh, uh, Joe Biden is sworn in as president. Uh, he quickly appoints a new Secretary of Defense, uh, General Lo uh, former General Lloyd Austin, uh, a new uh, National Security Advisor. Advisor. So those are the two key guys that advise the president uh, in wartime. Uh, and as they transition to the new administration, uh, General Mark Miley, the sitting chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, became the uh, the conduit. Um, and the individual they turned to uh, for advice on Afghanistan. Um, 
Of note here, again, every wartime commander recognizes the potential for chaos uh, when a political administration changes over uh, while combat is ongoing. And the commander in Afghanistan, General Miller, uh, recognized that immediately. Uh, his first, one of his first communications uh, to the SECDEF and General Miley in a, in a joint meeting was his offer to come back uh, fly back and brief the president on the situation in Afghanistan. Um, General Miley and former General Austin told him, no, no, that's our job. We'll handle that uh, on this end. You stay in Afghanistan with your team. Uh, and again, in the way of lessons uh, for future presidents, never let that happen again. Uh, always listen to the guy on the ground. Uh, it's a timeless principle and there's no way you're going to get on the ground contextual information from someone who hasn't even been in the war zone and someone else who's not really been paying attention to it. Um, so January 2021, you know, what was going on? Uh, were they intensely um, uh, learning about Afghanistan and listening to the concerns from both the president of Afghanistan and from uh, the diplomats, the U.S. diplomats that were on the ground. So uh, instead of making sure the president knew as much information about Afghanistan as possible, uh, General Miley and Secretary of Defense Austin seemed to have other priorities. And again, these are all uh, these are all events that were reported on. They're all over the news, so you can uh, check this out yourself. But just to sum up on General Miley's part. According to excerpts from the book, I alone can fix it. In the days, first days of January, uh, the chairman was warned by a retired military friend that President Trump and his supporters were trying to overturn the government after losing the election. General Miley told his staff, uh, they may try, but they're not uh, going to fucking succeed. Um, according to the book, uh, he said, you can't do this without the military. You can't do this without the CIA and FBI. We're the guys with the guns. And then Miley referred to Trump's supporters who were protesting the election results as the modern, the American equivalent of the brown shirt Nazis in the streets uh, prior to uh, World War II. And uh, again, shockingly, uh, apparently General Miley, who claims to be an expert on the U.S. Constitution, he swore to protect uh, somehow missed the right to assemble, uh, which is very, uh, very clear and uh, foundational to everything about this country. He likes to read. He uh, likes to read. Although Lennon. he's not denied that he said any of uh, those comments that are in the book. Uh, as for uh, Secretary of Defense Lloyd J. Austin, uh, in his first week as Secretary of Defense, he orders a DOD-wide stand down to discuss the problem of extremism in the ranks. Uh, Austin, together with General Miley, uh, met with all the service civilian, both service uh, military and civilian leaders to discuss the problem of extremism. They directed a stand down to occur for all military units for the next 60 days. A stand down means no training, uh, no deployments, uh, and 60 days would take them from February 3rd to April 3rd, and they took every bit of it. Uh, their reason for that was so each service, each command, and each unit 
can take the time to have these needed discussions with the men and women in the force. Uh, and again, that went to the 3rd of April. On 14 April, 2021, uh, Joe Biden announced to the world that all troops, including contractors, will be withdrawn from Afghanistan by 11 September, the 20th anniversary of uh, 911. Uh, this edict was delivered to the military and the CIA without any explanation for the logic of why it made sense. At the time, the US military had uh, actually between 2,500 and 3,500 troops um, on the ground. Uh, Biden added that uh, as far as his rationale, speed is safety. Um, he, he told the commanders that as he was overriding their decision. Um, and again, of note, he did not consult General Miller uh, or anyone on the ground uh, before he made that decision. Uh, and a question that should be asked when we talk about that day is why in the world would you order your military to reduce its footprint to less than 700 people while you still allowed the U.S. Embassy in Kabul to have somewhere around 4,000 State Department personnel on the ground? Uh, anyone who knows Afghanistan and the situation uh, that is happening now and was unfolding uh, back in April uh, knows that those State Department people had you know barely any role in the solvency of Afghanistan, yet we allowed uh, around 4,000 State Department personnel to stay and told the military to get out. On 15 April, uh, the U.S. military on the ground in Afghanistan, along with their Afghan military allies, were stunned, uh, and the allies wanted answers. Um, the reason they were stunned was because the foundational knowledge upon which the entire withdrawal plan had been built was based on having Bagram as the base of operations for the remaining U.S. forces and their special uh, Afghan special forces uh, counterparts. Uh, it was also designated as the primary extraction airfield for the 86,000 Afghans who had already been biometrically vetted and registered. Uh, that list uh, still exist, and it it was made public all the way back in, uh, or it was put together all the way back in January. Um, in 4 May 2021, as expected by uh, the military and the Afghans, uh, the Taliban, who were emboldened by the announcement, launched their first major offensive on the Afghan military in Helmand province. They also attacked a number of uh, nearby provinces, uh, Helmands in the south, uh, uh, very close to uh, Kandahar, and uh, requests to interdict the Taliban convoys. Uh, they were all in pickup trucks and to use uh, U.S. ISR assets, that's intelligence, uh, surveillance, and reconnaissance, were denied. Um, 14 May 2021, the Taliban continued to mass forces in the south. Uh, they continued to maneuver. Uh, slowly, incrementally at first, then getting bolder and bolder uh, with their out in the open movements. Uh, and this happened without even a single pickup truck being obliterated. Uh, it was very obvious that with each passing day, the lack of U.S. response was emboldening the Taliban to consolidate their gains and continue moving 
uh, toward Kabul. Uh, Mid-June 2021, after landing in, a D uh, in Washington, D.C. for meetings at the Pentagon, a high-ranking member of the U.S. military command in Afghanistan contacted me uh, to discuss what was going on. We talked regularly uh, throughout uh, the year, so I was not surprised to talk to him on the phone. But here's what he said. Uh, Afghanistan is a shit show. We are dealing with a bad decision. But that part would be okay if the administration didn't try to mitigate the bad decisions, political fallouts on the backs of its military forces. We are in for a rough ride. What was the bad decision, I asked? The pulling of the 2,500 troops and contractors, which means we can't run or defend Bagram. Uh, the, the administration's told us we have to go down to around 600 troops. And the purpose of those troops is to guard the U.S. Embassy and its diplomats, as well as the Kabul International Airport, which would now, by default, become the primary Expo airfield. Um, so, you know, a quick note on that. Uh, you know, the definition of a decision or a choice is to, uh, is to choose between two options. If you don't have two or more options, you don't have a choice. Once the, pres uh, once the president announced that uh, we could not keep 2,500, the minimum number uh, needed in Afghanistan, there was no more choice regarding uh, the operation and security of Bagram. It had to be abandoned. So that was not a separate decision. That decision is part of the decision to uh, renege on our agreement, which we made with the Afghans uh, to keep 2,500 troops on the ground. Um, so again, that's, that's uh, the middle, uh, mid-June. Uh, so as the US military in Afghanistan continued to uh, assess uh, the fallout from that decision, and of course the anger from our Afghan allies, they did the right thing and continued to uh, press the Pentagon uh, with either course, uh, alternative courses of action uh, or requests to reconsider uh, the reneging on the 2500. Uh, the Pentagon uh, told my source that the decision was final and that they were super busy right now. Uh, this is middle of June uh, with late breaking events. Uh, but they would talk to them again uh, once things calm down in DC. So what could possibly be more important than the collapse of Afghanistan? And remember that purpose, you know, we're keeping, we're fighting the terrorists in Afghanistan to prevent having to fight them here in the United States and elsewhere across the free world. Um, so on 24 June, 2021, uh, about six days after that discussion, uh, General Miley testified alongside General, uh, Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin at the House Armed Service Committee. Uh, now, that would be the committee you'd go to and say, hey, Afghanistan is in big trouble. Uh, we need to relook at the decision we made in April. We need to stay flexible. We need to do this the right way. And mostly we need to make sure that we protect uh, the Americans in Afghanistan and our Afghan allies uh, and do not prevent that vacuum effect. Um, but that's not what he was talking about. Here's what General Miley said in that meeting. 
I want to understand white rage and I'm white. What is it that caused thousands of people to assault this building and try to overturn the constitution of the United States of America? I want to find that out. Uh, note, while Miley chose to focus all his energies on understanding and obsessing over his man-made concept of white rage, he also cho chose to ignore the real crisis unfolding in Afghanistan. And by proxy, he did nothing to address it. Uh, when I reread re this in the context of the fall of Afghanistan less than two months later, the first words that came to my mind were dereliction of duty. Uh, what we have here is a leader who has his priorities uh, completely backwards. He's a living, breathing embodiment of someone who's made the constant, the conscious decision to water their front lawn while their house with family inside burns to the ground. Uh, General Miller and his staff continued to look for alternative course, course of action or try to make things uh, better, uh, but the situation on the ground in Afghanistan continued to, to deteriorate. Uh, one week later, 2 July 2021, the U.S. Army tells all its commands to include those remaining in Afghanistan to prepare to administer mandatory COVID-19 vaccinations to the entire force as early as 1 September in anticipation of full, full approval for the vaccines by the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. Uh, to July 2021, on that same day that we announced mandatory uh, vaccinations or, or prepare for mandatory vaccinations, the U.S. quietly withdraws all personnel, remaining personnel from Bagram Air Base. On the ground, the Afghan military was stunned and confused uh, and confused with life or death sense of urgency. Uh, how can we operate without Bagram? One of the senior Afghan special forces leaders asked one of his trusted U.S. advisors. Uh, the advisor couldn't answer, and uh, his professionalism, uh, which is uh, which is always uh, at the forefront, uh, forced him to just say nothing in return. Uh, then on July 12th, uh, the commander of all military forces in Afghanistan, General Scott Miller. Uh, who, again, I want to reiterate this, is the most experienced, competent, and knowledgeable commander we've ever had in Afghanistan, is unexpectedly told to leave and return to the United States to prepare for retirement. Uh, Miller had been in charge of U.S. and NATO forces since 2018. Uh, as I mentioned, he was with me back in 2001, 2002, which made him first in, and he wanted to be last out, uh, one of his aides told me. And uh, he had been in Afghanistan on and off every single year from 2001 forward. So again, he knew the people, he knew the culture, he knew the terrain, incredibly important as we'll get to in a minute, and he knew the enemy um, along with the history. So uh, one of the things the administration has since tried to say is that it was prudent to bring him out of the country because the situation was deteriorating and we had to protect our, our high-ranking U.S. officials. But that statement holds no water when you consider the fact that they left the U.S. ambassador in place, along with his massive and defenseless staff uh, in, on the ground in Kabul. Uh, General Miller's departure is even more uh, difficult to comprehend given the surge of violence from Taliban militants uh, all across the country.
so just as the decision in April to renege on the 2,500 stay behind troops was responsible for the inability of U.S. forces to run and operate Bagram, the Pentagon's decision to recall General Miller was responsible for sending Afghan president and the Afghan army generals into full panic mode. Uh, you know, all, all mammals have what are called mirror neur neurons. Uh, these neurons evolved to enable mammals to react quickly and avoid falling victim to predators. Uh, when one deer lifts its head and goes stock still, the other deer, other deer around him follow suit. Uh, when that deer takes off running into the woods, the entire herd follows. Uh, that's our fight or flight instincts. That's how they work. Uh, the human nervous system works the same way as the deer. When one human panics, uh, everyone around them panics too, because panic, like calm, is contagious. Uh, and again, General Miller was the most trusted American in Afghanistan. He had built and earned that trust over the previous three years. Now he was gone. Uh, Afghan leaders were in panic mode. And, uh, you know, in my opinion, the fall of Afghanistan was now imminent. Um, on that, uh, President Ghani, uh, right after uh, General Miller left the country, uh, began preparations to exfil Afghanistan. Uh, again, this is all open source information. Uh, and that was not done quietly. Uh, his aides, of course, mirrored his actions. Uh, and every other high-ranking government and military official uh, mirrored them all the way down to the commanders of the special op units that the plan and the way they were arrayed would be the first and last bulwark uh, to protect against the Taliban uh, uh, offensive. Uh, the Afghan special forces never uh, actually trusted their political leaders to have their backs and what they were witnessing now, the deer running for the, the tree line confirmed that mistrust. Um, on 13 August, 2021, Kandahar, Afghanistan, the second largest city, the old Taliban capital, by the way, uh, fell to the Taliban. Um, prior to that April uh, decision to renege on the 2500, uh, the, the, this was a tripwire uh, for American forces and Afghan forces in Afghanistan. If Kandahar fell, uh, the plan and the common sense reaction would be a full military response. Uh, and think about it, the Taliban were now masked and out in the open uh, and really easy pickings for our uh, AC-130s, our drones and our fast movers, um, but nothing happened. And of course, knowing that they were in Taliban, you can just look on a map and see that it's obvious where they're going next. They're gonna head up uh, to Ghazni and then on to Kabul. Um, but again, this is where knowing the terrain, knowing the history is so important in Afghanistan. There's only one main artery between Kandahar and Kabul. It's Highway 101 uh, that runs through the unpopulated uh, center spine flatlands uh, of the country. Uh, military leaders who were left in country, remember the commander is gone, saw one last opportunity to stave off an all-out Taliban victory. Uh, and that was as the Taliban convoy began making its way up north, uh, and it was a convoy. Um, and of course, we still had our satellite intelligence 
uh, assets on station. Uh, we could have waited till they massed and then simply used drones, those AC-130s and the Air Force attack aircraft to destroy more Taliban in a day than we had in the past 10 and maybe even more years of skirmishes and hit and run attacks. Uh, the Pentagon's response was stick with the plan and not a single bomb, as we all know, was dropped as they made their way north. Uh, and again, you know, this is a good time to recall that quote from 2012, uh, you know, where Joe Biden says, uh, you know, these guys think the plan is based on conditions, which means it depends. It does not depend for us on conditions. And uh, if ever you want to see uh, a simple formula for dis disastrous decision making, this is it. Ignore the adaptive stimulus of what's going on around you. So 14 August 2021, uh, President Joe Biden puts out a statement confirming the deployment of approximately 5,000 U.S. troops to help with the evacuation of Afghanistan. He also reaffirms his desire to leave the region uh, by August 31st, which of note is different from the original date he gave the military of September 11th. Uh, he went on to say one more year or five more years of U.S. military presence would not have made a difference. If the Afghan military cannot or will not hold its own country and an endless American presence in the middle of another country's civil conflict was not acceptable to me. Uh, so, you know, again, a question that should be asked is, um, why not have those 5,000 troops reoccupy Bagram? Uh, it's no longer hypothetical. The Taliban has broken the treaty and they're at that point, 14 August, on the doorstep, they're on the outskirts of Kabul. They simply were reconsolidating, letting enough pickup trucks and uh, other groups from out the country uh, mass so they could go into Taliban or go into Kabul as one, uh, one complete force. Um, and what you've heard is, you know, one reason why they didn't take Bagram is because there was uh, no one on the ground to suggest it. Uh, and, you know, after recalling General Miller, you had no one who understood the terrain, uh, the time, distance uh, ratios in Afghanistan and no institutional knowledge uh, that could credibly even suggest that concept uh, to the president. And uh, it likely wouldn't matter because, uh, you know, the the administration was definitely at this point living the creed uh, of don't adapt, just follow the plan. Um, General Miley also commented uh, during the, those days and said, uh, you know, there's really no difference between the two and Bagram is much further away. So it makes sense to use uh, Kabul International. That just is reflective of uh, of not listening to people on the ground or in ignorance of that. What I just discussed, the time distance realities in Afghanistan, the uh, time distance reality between Kabul and Bagram is uh, about 50 some odd minutes. Uh, it's a drive through the Shamali Plains, mostly unpopulated, um, but you didn't even need that. If you just simply did the right thing and uh, began withdrawing those State Department personnel to a, a manageable number, even a thousand, the, the embassy is a fully guarded compound. It has helipads that are more than capable 
uh, of multiple uh, um, CH-47 aircraft. They could have just picked up and shuttled uh, those embassy officials back to Bagram and had it done uh, in a matter of a couple hours. So uh, there was a big difference and the time distance was not a factor uh, that would drive you to say that Kabul International was more uh, defensible. On 15 August, Afghan President uh, Ghani uh, departs the country along with U.S. Acting Ambassador. Uh, the full U.S. Embassy is evacuated and Kabul is officially seized by the Taliban. Uh, we all know 15 to 30 August chaos in Kabul as American forces find themselves surrounded by Taliban and thousands of civilians trying to escape the imminent bloodshed. Uh, and uh, Todd, you may have flown in there yourself, but as anyone's flown in and out of KAIA knows, it is truly indefensible. It has no standoff capacity. Uh, slums butt up against uh, two sides of it. And the other side is overwatched by high ground from which uh, only a handful of enemy with small arms could uh, with impunity take down aircraft or any soldier who's out in the open. Uh, so 26 August 2021, suicide bomber kills 13 uh, American military uh, members who are guarding the airfield and providing humanitarian assistance to the Afghan people. Uh, on 18 August, the central issue uh, around the world becomes how did this happen and why in the world did we close down Bagram? Uh, during a briefing, General uh, Mark Miley said that these words, securing Bagram is a requires a significant level of military effort of forces, and it would also require external support from Afghan security forces, forces which disintegrated along with the US-backed Afghan government this month as Taliban fighters swept across the country. That is not an accurate statement. Uh, the Afghan special forces did not uh, disintegrate. There was no one commanding and controlling them, so they fell back uh, to live to fight another day. Um, and I'm not going to say anything more about that because it's ongoing. Uh, our task, uh, he also said, our task given us at the time, our task was to protect the embassy in order for the embassy personnel to continue to function with their counselor services and all that. You know, just, just think about that statement. Uh, he's, he, he says he was ordered. Uh, to protect the embassy, so that could only come from the president, the only person above him, or the SECDEF. But why would your last priority be to allow the embassy personnel to function? Um, you know, they, they're defenseless. Uh, and he then exacerbated by saying, if we were to keep both Bagram and the embassy going, that would be a significant number of military forces, yes, around 2,500, that would have exceeded what we had or stayed the same or exceeded what we had. And that, that's his exact quote. Uh, so we had to collapse one or the other and the decision was made. Um, so, you know, you can take that for what it is on 26 August, uh, President Biden uh, followed up those comments in a press conference. Uh, and it, this was the, uh, in reference to the 13 U.S. service members who were killed, uh, President Biden went right to the bottom line and blamed his generals for the decision to leave Bagram Air Base behind and did not deny reports in that same breath that his administration gave the Taliban 
a list of Americas stranded in the region. Uh, on the issue of Bagram Air Base, President Biden said, we had made the, the decision to essentially abandon the location upon his general's advice. On the tactical question of how to conduct an evacuation or a war, I gather up all the major military personnel that are in Afghanistan, the commanders, as well as the Pentagon, and I asked for their best military judgment. They concluded, the military, that Bagram Air Base was not much value added, that it was much wiser to focus on Kabul. So I followed that recommendation. Um, again, I don't want to editorialize here, but the fact is he never gathered his commanders on the ground and asked them, what's your recommendation? Uh, before making his fateful decision to renege on the commitment and the common sense of leaving 2,500 forces behind to prevent the vacuum effect that every commander warned of going back to 2017. Additionally, he never once spoke with the commander in Afghanistan during the months leading up to the Taliban takeover. Uh, I don't know why that is. Uh, maybe he was told the same thing that the uh, that the SecDef and the chairman told uh, General Miller. You know, we got this. Uh, maybe. Uh, they were telling him, hey, you don't need to talk to the guy on the ground. I don't know. I'm not making excuses for him. Um, but the fact is, he's solely dependent on the advice of General Miley and Secretary of Defense Austin, uh, who were also advising him on the administration's other top priorities, which were uh, learning about the man-made-up concept of white rage, uh, teaching our troops about critical race theory and extremism, in the military, which by the way, does not exist. And of course, mandatory vaccines. So despite efforts to deflect blame and whitewash history, uh, I hope everyone can see that the timeline of events, the facts uh, reveal the irrefutable truth. Thank you. That, that uh, I think our audience will get a very good understanding of what happened. So what I want to make sure that people understand is that the administration is now trying to avoid all accountability um, by placing, uh, you know, hit pieces in the press. And as you said, trying to blame the military for the decisions they made. Um, I, but I, I find this, I don't see how you can, and I now know we don't want to get political, but just from a military standpoint, I don't see how you could make these decisions with the best interests of the nation in mind. So then that goes to what is the real agenda? And I think, you know, we can leave that for another day. But uh, I think Millie and Austin need to face accountability. I've written about this a lot. And I think they need to face uh, UCMJ accountability. But that's, that's yeah. my opinion. Um, and I, I think they will in time because I think we'll get this country back. I think we'll get the government back. And then there's going to be a period of, uh, of accountability. And, and I think all veterans across the nation need to demand that, you know, MacArthur said at West Point, if you fail us a million souls in, you know, khaki and red, white, and blue uniforms will rise from their graves. And I think that's, that's what we're facing right now. So what say you on that? Yeah. Uh, well said. And, you know, there's so many takeaways, but I would just go, to this, mm -hmm. um, you know, the job of a leader is decision-making and problem-solving. Mm -hmm. And uh, Joe Biden is the leader of this country right now or in the position that's supposed to lead the country. Mm -hmm. And it's very obvious from this biography of 
uh, a senseless decision that Joe Biden lacks some of the most important qualities needed for those who govern and those who lead. Uh, what are those? Discernment, uh, wisdom, prudence, mm -hmm. uh, the ability to anticipate unfolding events, the capacity to make the right decision based on incomplete information, and the flexibility and willingness to change based on the adaptive stimulus of what's going on around us. And uh, just, the basic, in, just the basic caring for the people under you. Right. I mean, that's that's exactly what lacking, you do. Completely lacking. I mean, that's the, the mark of a, a good officer right there. I mean, do you care? You know, sometimes you have to send your people in harm's way and you, you deal with the consequences, but you don't waste that precious resource. Um, so anyway. Yeah. And Todd, thanks for what you do here. Uh, again, to the American people, you know, we've got to get out in front of a lot of these situations now we have to get the truth out it's happening it's an amazing thing mm -hmm. and uh and it's living breathing proof right now that common sense always prevails uh, all we have to do is stand up stand together and stand our ground that's the only way that common sense will ever uh be defeated so uh we all have a job to do whatever we can and and in whatever way we can, whether that's community involvement uh, or involvement in school boards mm -hmm. or talking and getting the truth out. And, and I just want to thank you for what you've done uh, over these past months. And uh, please continue the good work. Yeah, I want to highlight your book, The Common Sense Way. Uh, where can people find that, Pete? Uh, yeah, it's on any Amazon. You can go on my website, PeteBlaber.com, um, mm -hmm. Barnes & Noble, all the usual okay. places. And it, uh, it talks just about this, how to use common sense to make decisions and solve problems. And yes. this is a perfect example of how not to do it. We've got a couple other interviews with you, which we'll attach to this one. So people can go back and see more in depth on your book and your way of thinking. But uh, thank you for your time, Pete. Uh, appreciate it, brother. We all got to stick together. And uh, I know there's a lot more happening on the ground that you can't really talk about. But Thank you again, Pete, for your time. And we'll do this. Maybe we'll do this again uh, fairly soon and just talk about updates as things come out. Because I think you have your eyes and ears on the ground more than most, obviously. So thank you, sir. That's good. Take thank care. Thank you.